We are so glad that you are with us this morning. And I want to tell you, we are going to be continuing the Second Thessalonians sermon series today. And we're going to be in chapter 2. Got a plan to cover that entire chapter. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to go ahead and be finding the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you are doing that, I want to share with you this morning just sort of like a big idea of this chapter. What's going on in this chapter? First of all, Paul is setting the record straight. And you might be wondering about what. Well, here's some things that are going on in this particular chapter. Misinformation had been spread throughout the Thessalonian church, specifically about the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, we're going to see in this chapter, he explains to these people the things that will occur before Jesus returns. We're also going to see in this particular chapter that Paul writes about the power of the Antichrist and the power of the Antichrist works within the world. Paul also mentions this delusion that will be caused as a result of this, specifically among the people who refuse to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Paul, we're going to see rights about future coming of Jesus, and he also tells us, he reminds us that Jesus is going to destroy Satan along with everything that belongs to Satan. And finally, we'll see in this chapter that Paul assures these people, he assures them that they have not missed the coming of the Lord now, I think it's interesting as we look at how Paul handles the situations that we're going to be talking about in just a minute. There, there has been some false teaching that occurred in this church specifically. We see Paul address that. He corrects them. He points them towards Jesus. And then we also see in this particular chapter that he uses this as an opportunity to encourage these people. And so I, I, w- I want to just represent to you this morning that if you are actively sharing Jesus, you are going to encounter a number of people that will not agree with you. You will, incur- you will encounter a number of people whose theology is warped, um, just as a nice way of saying that. I want to remind you, we can follow Paul's lead. We can use this as an encourage, as an encouragement, as an, uh, a way that we can point them to Jesus, that we, how we can tell, show them what the Bible says, and then we can encourage them. So when we look at this particular text, if I was trying to place this scripture in large chunks, I would probably put the first 12 verses in one broad category and give it the title, The End of the World. And I want just to remind you one more time that one of Paul's reasons for writing this particular chapter, he wants to put their minds to rest that they have not missed the great day of the Lord, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, if we look at what's happening in this church, we've got to realize that some false information had been circulating within that church. It had gained acceptance within that church. And you know, I would imagine if you're paying attention 
just to things that you read in the news, the things that you see on TV, the things you hear. You can probably all think of situations, unfortunately, where false teaching has worked its way into churches that previously were faithful to preach and teach the Bible. Many times it begins in the form of people trying to maintain that certain portions of the Bible no longer apply. And we know, we know, church, that the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant Word of God. It never changes. It doesn't matter how much that society might try to tell us that the Bible is no longer relevant. It still is very, very relevant. We can never abandon Scripture. Don't fall into that trap. Just because something might sound good, just because something might sound nice, it's no indication that it's coming from the Bible. As we jump into this text, I want to first deal with verses 1 and 2. And what's happening here is that there's been some rumors circulating within this particular church. And, you know, we've talked before about Paul's boldness, and he wastes no time in this chapter getting to what he wants to talk to them about. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or spoken word or by letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, when you look at what I've got underlined on the screen right now, I want to make sure that you understand that this is not two separate events. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, that is not two separate events. It's two parts of the same event. And Paul, Paul is addressing this here. And you know, I want to remind you that this is not the first time that these people have heard this very thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but I am convinced that many times people have to hear things multiple times before they ever hear it at all. Many times people have to hear things multiple times before they actually hear it at all. Again, Paul has already addressed this very thing with this group of people. And I'm not going to repeat 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 to you, but if you are taking notes, write that down, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I remember the morning that I preached that particular text. I said, you can think of that particular scripture as if Paul is handing us a bulletin. As if Paul is handing us an order of events as to what is going to happen when the Lord returns. So it's not like these people had not heard this before. Actually, they had heard it very plainly and in great detail. So why is this confusion now in their church? Likely because some people had started rumors. Just in case you don't know, do you realize that Each of us has the ability to stop a rumor. Each of us has the ability to stop a rumor. 
The next time somebody approaches you and says, hey, did you hear? I can't believe they did that. And it just goes on and on. Step away from the conversation. Don't engage in it. Do not entertain rumors. Do not entertain rumors. They don't amount to anything good. But the situation that these people were experiencing, there had been teaching. And they were, it was telling these people that the day of the Lord had come. Now, just imagine how disturbing that would have been to these people. If they had heard preached from their pulpit that the day of the Lord had come. Imagine how it would make you feel if you heard it preached from this pulpit and you realize, oh, we're still here. Can you imagine how disturbing that would be? It was very disturbing to them. So Paul is telling them in verse 2, Get back to my text here. Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or a spoken word or a letter. And then check it, check this out. Seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord Has come. So let's take each one of those examples. So the first thing is by the Spirit right here. Now, it's very possible that some of your translations this morning, if it's something other than the ESV, it might very well say prophecy. And I'm going to use that particular translation right now instead of the word Spirit. And I want to give these people the benefit of the doubt. Suppose that somebody had heard Paul's teachings and they just simply misunderstood him. Suppose that was the case. Now, I don't know that that was the case, but it would have been possible that somebody sat under his teaching and they misunderstood him. And as a result, they preached something that was not true. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever participated in an exercise like this, but years ago, almost every time that you went to any type of seminar, you would participate in a team-building event of some kind at the very beginning, and many times they would stand people either in a single-file line or in a circle, and the moderator would read a very long statement to the first person and whisper it, And then that person has to whisper it to the person number two. And it goes all the way down the chain. And then when it is told to that last person, and they repeat it, it's usually substantially different from what the moderator actually said. So just imagine if, if for some reason, this was not an intentional misleading. If they were off to start with, And then each time it gets repeated, it gets off just a little bit more. It's still false teaching. It is still false teaching. And I want to remind you, you always have the responsibility to compare what you are hearing preached from this or any pulpit to the Word of God. Do not take your responsibility lightly on that. And then the spoken word. Let's talk about that for just a minute. This is most likely where some of the rumors are occurring. The, did you hear this? 
or they, they are just t- completely telling something that is wrong here. Again, don't entertain rumors. And then finally, or by a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now I want to remind you that the books of First and Second Thessalonians are classified as letters. Paul sent those letters to this church that we are talking about. So just imagine what it would have been like if this church received yet another letter that looked like it was from Paul, that followed his style of writing, but it actually wasn't from Paul. And just imagine that this particular letter informed the church that the day of the Lord had already come. Can you see why that would have been disturbing? And, you know, we've always got to take things into context. These people were not able to get out their cell phones and send Paul a text and say, Hey, Paul, we've received this letter in the mail from you. Did you actually send it? They couldn't do that. But it had ended up being very, very disturbing to them. As we proceed in verses 3 and 4, we're going to be talking now, focusing on this man of lawlessness. Now, Paul tells them to start with, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, talking about the day that Jesus comes back, it will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Unless the rebellion comes first. Now, if you're looking at where this word comes from in the original language, it come, it really it's equates to the same word that we use today and know today as apostasy. Now, you have probably remembered that I have used that very word in sermons before from this very pulpit. But just in case you don't remember what that word actually means... A simple definition of the word apostasy, really in its probably most simplistic form, we can think of apostasy as being the abandonment of a religious belief. The abandonment of a religious belief. Now I want you to go with me for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you are older than 35 years old, I want you to go back 20 years in your mind right now. Go back 20 years. First of all, realize how different things were 20 years ago than they are right now. And then I want you to just think, make a mental note in your mind of people that you knew, that you know of, that sure looked like a Christian, acted like a Christian, showed up and served like a Christian, and then something happened. Something happened. Instead of continuing to follow Jesus, they suddenly don't want anything at all to do with Jesus. They completely deny the faith. And they do it intentionally intentionally, before the day of the Lord comes, there will be a great denial 
a deliberate turning away by those who profess to belong to Christ, we're going to see rebellion. True rebellion. And I want to make certain that you know and don't misunderstand the group of people that I'm talking about this morning. We are not talking about people who have never claimed to follow Christ. Instead, we are talking about people who have once represented themselves to be a follower of Jesus. But now they abandon Him. Now, in in verse 3... We see something else that will happen. The rebellion is one of the things that will happen. The second thing that must happen before Jesus comes back is the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness is revealed. And just so everybody is following me this morning, the man of lawlessness is specifically referring to the Antichrist. And when we look at this language this morning how this is written, the fact that it's the Scripture says that He will be revealed, we can take from that that it will be someone who is a person, who is living on the earth at that time, but His identity hasn't been revealed. Or maybe He does have a, an identity, but we just don't understand exactly His true identity. But there will be a day coming when that mask is going to come off of this man and his true identity will be revealed. But both of those things, the rebellion and the Antichrist being revealed, both of those things must happen before Jesus is going to come back. And when we think specifically about the Antichrist, I want you to understand that the Antichrist is associated with evil. This is going to be someone who is so given to sin that he will be the very embodiment of it. He is so overcome with evil that not even a spark of light can be detected in him. But let's not miss the good news. And you might be thinking, how could there be any good news in this? We know that God's greater. We know that God is greater. And if you've studied Scripture at all, you know that the Antichrist is doomed to destruction. He will suffer the eternal torment and agony that God will bring. And in verse 4, we see that this man is going to oppose everything that is connected in any way with anything that is divine. He's going to wage war with everything that hints at faith, that hints at religion, that hints at spirituality. He is going to try to remove worship of Jesus Christ in any form. Corporate worship, prayers, public gatherings, He will try to take every one of those things away. The Antichrist is going to proclaim himself to be God. And he will declare that he is to be worshipped. Now in verses 5 through 7, I really believe that Paul is trying to jolt these people back into reality here. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. 
Do you not remember, church? When I was still with you, we talked about these things. We talked about them in detail. And I want to use this just to make a point this morning. Don't miss the fact that these people had sat under Paul's teaching. They had heard directly from him. Can you imagine what that would have been like? To have had the opportunity to sit under the preaching and the teaching of Paul. Imagine what that would have been like. And then imagine that after Paul left, somebody else came in and they preached something that was contrary to that. And they believed them. The church believed them. And as a result, they were disturbed. So I want to tell you, church, this morning, if false teaching can occur at the church of Thessalonica after they had received direct teaching and instruction from the Apostle Paul, don't think that it can't happen anywhere else. And it goes right back to what I was telling you earlier. You hear Brother Blake and I routinely challenge you to search the Scriptures to be certain that what we're preaching is true. Honestly, it's one of the reasons that we like to preach with the Scripture on the screen. We want there to be no question to you that we are preaching the Word of God. But guess what? We could make a mistake we could say something in a sermon that we don't even realize we've said. Don't take your responsibility lightly. Search the Scriptures. Study the Scriptures. Be certain that what you're hearing preached from this pulpit or any other pulpit is actually the Word of God. Do not, do not believe false teaching. You've got to know what is real Now, last week, during prayer time, I encouraged you to use the Bible to shape your worldview. To use the Bible to shape your worldview. To use the Bible to know what your opinions should be. We've got to take that seriously. And the only way that that can happen is if we actually study the Bible We actually study the Bible and know what it says. We have got to be willing to take sin seriously. We've got to. Now, I realize that Jesus always associated with everybody. He loved everybody. And, you know, we have that same call to love. We do. We have the same call to love, just like Jesus did. But I want to be certain that you understand the part just like Jesus did. Because so often we miss that. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus routinely associated with people that nobody else wanted to touch. Nobody else wanted anything to do with them. Yet Jesus would associate with them. Jesus ministered to them. Jesus told them the truth. But I want to remind you, never once, never once did Jesus ever pretend that sin was okay. Never did he do that. In fact, he would issue the the command, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So yes, we've got the responsibility to love. 
But we also have the responsibility to minister like Jesus did and to tell the truth. And we've got to know. We have got to know what God's Word says in order to actually do that. In order to actually do that. In verse 7, excuse me, verse 6, And you will know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. I want to remind you, there are times when we look at our world today and it appears to be absolutely out of control, doesn't it? It just seems to be out of control. But I want to remind you, don't ever forget about the restraining hand of God. In the last day, God will act with a deliberate purpose in holding back Satan's workmen so that this man may be revealed in his time. Now, during the month of December, we spent a portion of every worship service focusing on Advent, the coming of Jesus. You know, Jesus came, he was revealed at a precise time, exactly when it was supposed to happen. Well, guess what? The Antichrist will also have a proper time for his revealing. And then Paul tells us in verse 7 that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness is already worked. This work is designed by Satan, and it's also empowered by Satan. Satan has got great power, and we should never, ever ignore that. We should always take the power that Satan has seriously. But we've got to realize also that God is greater, and God is the one who reigns over all. And that is how God restrains Satan's activities here. There's no need to be nervous, to be anxious about, is God really going to win in the end? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. We have read the back of the book, or you at least have got the opportunity to have read the ending of the Bible. We know how it turns out. And then we look in verse 8. And we're going to see that, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And I really think that verse 8 is very, very important. If we, if we realize how Paul has written this particular sentence, verse 8 is one sentence. Paul deals with the revealing of the Antichrist and the death of the Antichrist in one sentence. One sentence. He doesn't spend sentences, paragraphs, pages. He deals with it in one sentence. Now, I can't tell you exactly how long the Antichrist is going to reign, but I do not believe it's going to be for an extended period of time. Otherwise, I think Paul would have devoted way more than one sentence to it at this point. Now, as we look at verses 9 through 12, I want to make some parallels to you between the Antichrist, the lawless one, and Jesus Christ. Both have a coming. Both have a revealing. One proclaims the truth. And the other proclaims a lie. Both will demonstrate power. Jesus from the truth. 
And we'll see that the Antichrist is counterfeit. Each will claim exclusive worship. Both are empowered. Jesus is empowered by God, and the Antichrist is empowered by Satan. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This final section of verses can be very, very difficult. In fact, it would be easier sometimes just to maybe not even preach this section of verses because they can be confusing. Some people disagree on exactly what these verses are saying, but I want to set it up just like this. I want to ask you a question. Does God desire to save people? Yes, He does. Let me ask you another question. Will God force His salvation on anyone? No, He will not. But we've got to stop and realize that there are people... Many people, actually, who intentionally make the choice that they are not going to follow Jesus. They intentionally make the choice that they're not going to follow Jesus. And as a result, these people are refusing to love the truth and they are refusing to be saved. Exactly like the final part of verse 10 states. Now, verses 11 and 12 can be difficult to process. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That can be that can be difficult to deal with. It can be difficult to deal with. God gave them over. God gave them over. I want to remind you, this is not the first time that we see something in Scripture like this. Go with me for just a moment to Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We've got to remember that these people embrace wickedness their characters formed by evil. They have already chosen to believe what is false. Let's go back to our day, to today's text. And you know, we know what the consequences of that actually are, don't we? We know what the consequences of repeatedly embracing wickedness, a character being formed by evil, by an intentional Choice of believing what is false. We know the consequences that are coming. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I want to make sure this morning that you're actually following me because I know it would be easy to latch on to certain parts of this sermon and not all of it. But I want to again be sure that you realize this morning that we're either following truth or we're following wickedness. I'm either following truth or I'm following wickedness. You are either following truth or you are following wickedness. It's one or the other. Church, I'm going to tell you this morning, we cannot be neutral about morality. We cannot be neutral about righteousness. We cannot be neutral about wickedness. Church, I want to remind you, if you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus Christ, you have been called to be holy. You have been called to be holy. And if you are okay following wickedness, if you are okay being neutral about morality, if you are okay about being neutral about righteousness, if you are okay about being neutral about wickedness, you are not living a life of holiness. You are not living a life of holiness. And if you're dealing with sin in your life this morning, maybe you think I'm being blunt. And I am. But I want you to know, I want you to know that Brother Blake and I love you too much not to tell you the truth. We would rather... You'd be temporarily upset with us than for you to spend your eternity in hell apart from Jesus Christ. I know we're dealing with a lot of stuff this morning, but I want to remind you the more you allow yourself to continue in sin, the more and more your heart's going to harden, the more and more your conscience is going to change. And as you make the intentional choice to do that, I want to remind you, that God's judgment will indeed be just. It will indeed be just. And I'm going to have to move quickly to finish this morning. And I am going to read the rest of the text to you, but most likely what I'm going to do is begin the next sermon here in verse 13 because I want to be able to spend more time on these final verses. But remember I told you at the beginning of the sermon that I think we can learn a lot from Paul by observing how he writes this particular letter, his chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. Remember I told you at the beginning that he knew that the false teaching had occurred. He knew that all of these rumors were going on in the church. He knew that they, had, they were believing something contrary to God's Word. And remember I said he took that as an opportunity... To straighten them out. But then he also, through that pointing to Christ, he encouraged them. He found a way to encourage these people. And just quickly, as we sort of try to wind down this morning and close, verse 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, And if you'll remember in the first Thessalonian sermon series, the word brothers came up several, several times. He's still using it, even though, even though these people had 
evidently temporarily forgot his teaching and chose to believe another teaching, he's still referring to these people as his brothers. Beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, here's this word again. Stand firm. So then, church, stand firm. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so you might be wondering, how can I stand firm in a world where everything seems to be changing, in a world where people are proclaiming things that are obviously contrary to God's word as being right? How can I stand firm? First of all, we have got to know what God's Word says. You have got to be willing each day to be fed by the Lord and by His Word. That should be the most important appointment on your schedule for any day. Unless we are spending time with the Lord, reading His Word and digesting that and taking it in and spending time in prayer with Him, direct communication between us and our Father, We're probably not going to know what His Word does say. I want to encourage you to get involved. If you're not involved in Sunday school, get involved. You will grow. I will guarantee it. Whether you have been in Sunday school your entire life or whether you have never been in Sunday school a day of your life, I want to encourage you to connect to a Sunday school class. You will grow by the study of God's Word in a group setting. I want to encourage you, stay involved in worship. Stay involved. And then finally, verses 16 through 17. I'm not sure that this is actually a prayer. That's how I've got it labeled. It it sure sounds a lot like a prayer to me as I read through these two verses. And again, I think Paul is using this to encourage these people. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So as we close this morning, the invitation is really simple. I want to go back to a point that I made just a few moments ago about we either follow truth or we follow wickedness. One or the other. We are either following Jesus or we're following the world. You know, maybe this morning the Lord has convicted you and you realize that you've been silent about some of those issues of morality, righteousness, and wickedness. And and maybe the Lord has impressed upon your heart. You need to repent of those things. The altar is open. You can take care of that today. Maybe this morning you realize that, hey, I really don't know Jesus. There has never been that time in my life when I have admitted that I was a sinner. Where I made the the profession that I'm going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That I believe his word is true and that I'm going to confess my sin, which involves 
turning and leaving that life of sin. Maybe that's you today. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you're watching the live stream or whether you are listening on the radio, if God's knocking on your heart's door, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Maybe you realize that you haven't really been serious in your walk with Christ and you just need to commit your life publicly publicly to Him This is the day for that. The altar is open. Maybe, maybe the Lord has impressed on your heart this morning that GBC is the place for you. But you haven't united membership here. Come forward, Brother Blake, and I would love to talk to you about that. But I I guess I want to leave us with the fact of just going back to the truth and the wickedness. So often, I don't, I don't know if you've encountered this or not, but so often when I've had conversations with people, if there was any attempt to talk about sin that's occurring in, in their individual life, more often than not, the comeback is, you can't judge me, only God can. You can't judge me. Only God can. And a few months ago, Brother Blake preached a message specifically on that, and we realized that that's not really a true statement. There are times where we are supposed to judge. But even if you're holding the belief that there is nobody other than God that can judge you, I want to affirm to you that that day's coming, and His judgment will be just. His judgment will be just. Are you prepared to stand before Jesus Christ face to face right this very second? If not, I pray that you will come today. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for just the boldness of Paul and how he addressed a number of issues in this particular text. And Father, I pray right now that you are knocking on the heart stores of people that are in the sanctuary this morning, of people that are listening on the live stream and people that are listening on the radio. And Father, I pray that if anyone this morning who is hearing the sermon is deliberately living their life in wickedness, Father, I pray that your convicting power will fall in a mighty way this morning. Father, I pray that we will see the transforming power of the Holy Spirit on display within this congregation this morning. Lord, I pray that we will see people changed, people saved, and lives transformed. And Father, I pray that you will always be glorified here in this place. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.